the Mini Break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, October 30th. How about that for late October fireworks? It is genuinely hard to imagine a better championship weekend unfolding than the one we all just got to experience in the pro tennis world. Drama in Vienna, drama in Basel, exceptional play in Zhuhai. We were treated to it all, and of course, on today's show, what I want to do for all of you listeners is offer my thoughts on all of the action we just saw unfold. Of course, it starts in Vienna, another signature run for 22-year-old Yannick Sinner to end this 2023 season. First, it was in Beijing. He beats Alcaraz. He beats Medvedev back-to-back on his way to the title. Now here in Vienna, it's wins over Tiafo, Rublev, and Daniil Medvedev once again that has the 22-year-old emerging as champion. If you did not already have Yannick Sinner in your tier one of contenders. It's probably time to place the young Italian on that list. Sinner now, again, career highs across the board here in this 2023 season. We can break them down for all of you listeners on today's show. But again, more broadly, the theme, Sinner able to sustain that elite level of tennis. We have certainly seen flashes of from him throughout the course of his career, but now against elite competition, he seems consistently able to bring his best. I want to describe what that best looked like against Medvedev, against Rublev, against all of his foes throughout the course of championship weekend. And then, of course, again, we got plenty of sub-headlines. I will go with that as the terminology. Plenty of other things to discuss from Vienna. Again, Medvedev, the bridesmaid, not the bride, still a spectacular season for him, particularly on hard courts, worth examining a bit closer here on today's show. Where do we sit with guys like Rublev, Tsitsipas, as we head towards the ending of the season as they both make semifinal runs? Again, I want to offer my final thoughts on all things Vienna, offer thoughts on an FAA title run in Basel as well. Now, if you are a daily listener of this show, you know we've been keeping an eye on that level of Felix. Ogier Aliasim. Obviously, the young Canadian has flashed top 10 play early or prior in his career. He's dealt with a bunch of different nagging injuries this season, but it started with an eye test thing. If you saw him at Laver Cup, if you saw him in these early post-U.S. Open matches, even if the results weren't there the way they certainly were this past week in Basel, you could feel this Felix resurgence coming. And to get this sort of result before the season ends, the ultimate feather in the cap, just the ultimate necessity almost for the young Canadian to steady the ship, gain some momentum heading into another season as he dare I say, ascends towards the prime of his career in 2024. We'll break down the mechanics of the Felix run, what's looking so good for the young Canadian once again to end this season. We'll talk all things Hoopy Hercots. I mean, again, talk about a guy who's played top 10 tennis to end this season. We'll get into the stats behind what is a very, very funky 2023. And then, of course, we'll get into all of our other Basel results as well. Runa, 
Umber, Echeverry. Who else impressed throughout the course of Championship Weekend? We can break it all down for all of you listeners here on today's show. And then last, but certainly not least, and I don't want to give away the whole ball game here in the introduction. I'm trying to tighten these intros moving forward. That will be my off-season project heading into 2024. Make the intros Condensed is the wrong word. Make them more efficient, I suppose, so we can get to the meat and potatoes of every episode for all of you listeners. Anyways, last but certainly not least on today's agenda, how do we not talk to Haddad Maya in Zhuhai? Obviously had not just the single success, but the double success as well, sweeping the title there. I've been brainstorming how I wanted to approach my description of what Haddad Maya managed to accomplish. Wins, obviously, in Championship Weekend over Kasakina, over Junction Wen as well. She goes 2-0 in her group play. Impressive wins over Garcia and Keys. It's not Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club Tennis, but there's something to the weight of shot of the Brazilian that just... I mean, you, you've heard it from me for 18 months now, obviously for Haddad Maya, who got suspended after a doping violation for her to build her way, her ranking back the way she did just playing ITF match after ITF match. There was no week on the calendar that was considered a week off for Haddad Maya if a tournament existed on her pathway to building back this ranking. And now you know, she's going to finish the year inside the top 12 and just, again, There was something about her level this week, her ability to hit her opponents off the court for her to consistently play on her terms. That will be the focus of my examination on her Zhuhai run. But then again, final thoughts on Chin Wen's ending to 2023. All of the takeaways from that Elite Trophy event, I'll share them here on today's show. Of course, I'm well aware of what we have coming up this week. Paris Masters event already underway. It's really, what, a six-man race For those final few spots at the ATP Tour Finals, we also, of course, have the start of the WTA Finals coming up in Cancun. And there have been plenty of discussions about the conditions in Cancun. They just suffered a devastating hurricane. Obviously, that weather impacting their ability to properly prepare for all of the action happening uh, this week. But again, you look across the board Yes, it's the end of October. It's the start of November. But between the Paris action, WTA finals, I'm headed to Midland for that 125K event that sees players like Stearns, Navarro, Parks, Kruger, so many talents in the draw. We got a really fun week of tennis ahead. That will be our focus on tomorrow's show. Maybe I'll even bring in David Kane to discuss all of those things. But again, here today, I want to break down what was an ecstatic Ecstatic's the wrong word. What was an electric championship weekend in the pro tennis world? Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners. And of course, because of the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. Also, we appreciate all of you who tuned into our coverage of the 2023 Norman Open. It was an absolute 
pleasure to feature that ITF 15K Pro Circuit event. A shout-out, of course, to 17-year-old Learner Tien, the talented teenager capturing the second pro title of his career. He knocks out Duarte Valle in the final, comes back from 4-1 in the opening set, comes back from a 6-2 tie-break deficit as well in that opening set breaker. Ultimately, again, straight set win for Tien, dropped just one set on his way to the title. He's currently the third highest ranked under 18 player in the ATP singles ranking. So, you know, again, for us to be able to shine a spotlight on him as he continues his rise, to be able to shine a spotlight on that Norman action. A shout out to Robin Catry, Fonz von Sambik, your doubles champions as well. The reason I bring that event up here, there's my quick recap for all of you listeners. And by the way, it's when, not if, TN becomes a top 200 player. He has the weapons to be top 100. Is the physicality there yet? Maybe not, but again, he's 17 years old. He's got plenty of time to develop that physicality. And again, his ability to strike a tennis ball, that's certainly not in doubt. But the reason I bring that up is we have more fantastic tennis coming up this week for all of you listeners on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We'll have the ITA National Fall Championships again. Right now, you look at the stats, seven top 100 singles players with college tennis ties, 16 top 100 WTA doubles players with top, uh, college tennis ties. You look on the ATP side, there are currently 14 top 100 singles players, 36, excuse me, 38 now top 100 doubles players. College tennis is a pathway to the pros. So many of the best of the best in the college tennis universe right now, they'll be competing at the National Fall Championships coming up this week. So again, our coverage starts Wednesday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. If you are a tennis fan, you're busy with work during all the European events or you don't want to stay up too late to follow the action in Cancun, we've got you covered here in North America. Again, ITA National Fall Championships, best of the best in the college tennis universe, all competing. That action starts Wednesday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We'll have coverage first round to last. So if you haven't already, go subscribe there. All of that said, the rare 10-minute introduction, folks. We had a lot to catch you up on. That said, let's get into what was, again, such an exciting weekend in the pro tennis world. And obviously, the place we got to start is with Vienna. I mean, I've been knocking the or beating the sinner drum for three years now here on this mini break podcast show on all of our Cracked Rackets podcasts. And it's not breaking ground in any analysis you're going to get here coming off of Vienna. The shot making was never in doubt for Yannick Sinner. The ability to generate pace on the forehand wing, on the backhand wing, that was never in doubt for Yannick Sinner. It's always been a question of physicality. The physicality as it relates to the serve, not just first serve percentage, which of course relates to leg strength, your ability to consistently explode into that shot uh, as a match progresses. It you know, had to do with his ability to use the weapons that he possessed from the baseline, that ability to create such space and such easy attacking opportunities for himself, you know, the ability to capitalize on those opportunities, to successfully move forward, to develop a fast enough first step to get to the net, to where all he had to do with the first volley really was put it in the right place at the right time. Again, it didn't need this elite touch, just needed to develop the instinct to move forward off of the pace that he was able to generate from the baseline. And 
I think this year we've just seen the culmination of three years of work on those specific categories. And even though I still don't think Yannick Sinner is where he's going to be at his peak physically, I still think there's five pounds of muscles to put on. I still think there's strength, stamina to be had. What was on display throughout the course of the weekend is just the progress he's made in every category. The fact that he wasn't out physicaled out-mentaled, out-anything by Francis Tiafo in their quarterfinal, a straight-set win for Sinner 3-4, and four, a match in which he was never broken, a match in which I don't think he was ever truly stressed. He was up breaks pretty early in each of those two sets against Andre Rublev. It's the exact opposite. To be down 5-2 the way he was in that opening set, work his way back. The fact that he served for the match uh, in that second set got broken by Rublev and yet didn't mentally disappear, managed to stay focused in that second set, close it out in a breaker 7-5. I mean, again, you saw the physicality. You saw the, and again, he's always been such a tough competitor mentally, but sometimes early in his career, you would see him physically begin to wear down at the end of matches. And so even if he was mentally willing to stay in the fight physically he just wasn't capable of doing that obviously again down 5-2 to Rublev in that opening set in the semifinals serving for that second set and the match having been broken by Rublev that he stayed the course mentally that he stayed as steady as he did in the breaker and then the piece de resistance of it all where he needed a little bit of all of that against Daniil Medvedev I mean Again, goes down an early break, ultimately takes that first set 7-6-9-7 in that breaker. The fact that what he fought off the set point, he I think he fought off three set points. It was either two or three in that opening set. One of them fought off, obviously, in the breaker with the ace T was just so exceptional. And, I mean, again, it's the same story in this match with Medvedev that we saw when these two faced off a couple of weeks ago in Beijing. The physicality that Yannick Sinner now possesses. It's enough in this matchup with Daniil Medvedev because that was the weakness Medvedev was hoping to exploit. That just, again, this was million ball rally. This was brick wall mode. This was death by a thousand paper cuts. This was Neo in the Matrix putting up his hand as the gunshot bullets are fired at him and saying no, enough, and stopping every bullet fired at him and just knocking them down. That was Daniil Medvedev in this matchup in Vienna. Just every, every bullet thrown his way, it felt like Daniil Medvedev was there. Daniil Medvedev was there with depth, was there with pace, was there, oh, excuse me, was there responding with depth, was there responding with some sort of angle into the outer third. More than anything else in those first two and a half sets, I thought, when physically Medvedev was able to do it, by the end he got a little bit worn down, and we'll get to that in a second, but physically when he was able to do it, I thought Medvedev made a very disciplined effort to go after the Yannick Sinner, uh, Yannick Sinner backhand. And I do think the pace of this match, 10, 15-shot rallies, which I don't want to say they were the majority, but you know, typically in a men's match, about 75% of the shots are 0-5-shot to five shot rallies. That was not the case in this match. I don't want to say it was 50-50, but maybe a 60-40 balance of plus one winners to extended, you know, physical wars of attrition. And I think if you're Daniil Medvedev, big picture, you know, coming out of that match, obviously there are adjustments he's going to have to make moving forward, but coming out of that match, 
that was the game plan you wanted to execute, right? That was the hope is that, you know, that match was played on his terms, that Sinner was, you know, willing to, that willing to, I guess, be lulled into those 10, 15, 20-shot rallies, that Sinner was plenty patient going backhand cross, backhand cross, backhand cross, and still some sort of small window opened for him. In full circle here, that's just where all of the credit in the world has to go to the 22-year-old Yannick Sinner. Now, I apologize if that was a little bit of a scatterbrained analysis there, but that's the big takeaway for me is for two matches now consecutively, whether it was in Beijing, whether it was here in Vienna, and yeah, indoor hardcourt going to be an ideal condition to be most physical because you don't have to deal with wind. You don't have to deal with temperature. It's a perfect environment. But Yannick Sinner matched, uh, answered the question. He he matched the test that was presented in front of him. Daniil Medvedev said, I'm going to make a million balls per rally beat me. And Sinner said, okay. And there are textbook examples, obviously, early in the third set. The forehand line he hit was an absolute joke. The fact that, and I know they traded breaks in that third set. Sinner goes up for, uh, what was it, 3-2 or 3-1. And then Medvedev breaks right back, I think, for 3-2. Then Sinner breaks again for 4-2. But that that first break that Sinner managed to get for 3-1, that, that nine-deuce game where, how does that game end? Medvedev's the one who is a little bit early and a little bit premature on going for a slightly more aggressive probably than he should have backhand and again misses a ball in the first five shots of the rally and it just felt like Medvedev was the one who blinked that by the time they reached midway through the third set Medvedev looked at his legs and felt internally like "Uh uh-oh I might not have enough gas left in the tank for this because you know this guy Sinner just bruising me corner to corner taking every down the line backhand that presented itself to him. And to Sinner's credit, again, why was the backhand down the line so effective for him in this match? Because he was so willing to go backhand cross with Medvedev and wait until the exact perfect ball emerged for Sinner to take a backhand down the line. And yes, he hit that ball extraordinarily well. He hit the forehand inside in extraordinarily well. I thought he volleyed extraordinarily decisively, which you have to do against Daniil Medvedev. He's going to give you 12 feet of space. You have to mix in the occasional serve and volley. You have to be willing to move forward and trust that your volley will be definitive enough, decisive enough to end the point. And again, the 22-year-old Sinner did all of those things so effectively. And again, you look for Sinner. He's now top four in every metric. He's top four. You know, him and Djokovic are the only players who are top five in both hold and break percentage. Sinner, I guess, not top four in everything. He's fifth in hold percentage. But he's top four in total wins. He's top four in top 20 wins. He's top four in top 10 wins. He's fourth in points. He's fourth in the rankings. He's fourth in the ELO, yearly ELO, and overall ELO ratings. He's 56 and 14 overall on the season. You know, again, he's made 12 different quarterfinals this year. That's third. Trails just Fritz and Medvedev. He's made nine different semifinals. Again, that's fourth. He's made six different finals, now four different titles. And again, it's where these results are coming for Sinner this year. 13 quarterfinals, excuse me. He's done it at four different Masters events, Canada, Monte Carlo, Miami, and Dean Wells. He's made it at 
three different 500 events, Beijing, Vienna, Barcelona, maybe Rotterdam as well. So four different 500 events. And then the Wimbledon semifinal as well. And again, nine semifinals for him. Three of them 500 levels, Vienna, Beijing, Rotterdam. Three of them Masters levels, four of them, excuse me, Indian Wells, Miami, Monte Carlo, Canada, and then the Wimbledon semifinal as well. He's not just racking up points at the 250 level and racking up wins, right? It's not a Fritz-like, and I, I say that with affection. That's not mean to diminish what Taylor Fritz has done in, a, in reaching 13 fi- quarterfinals this year. But those 13 quarterfinals have come at 250 events predominantly. Yannick Sinner has not, you know, Yannick Sinner's racking up quarterfinals, semifinals, and he's doing it at the biggest events consistently. He's always getting that bite at the apple. And again, just look at the improvement for Sinner this year. Heading into the season, you look since 2020, four and five against top 20 players in 2020, 10 and eight in 2021, four and 10 last year, 14 and eight this season against the top 20. By the way, his hold percentage has progressed in each of those seasons now up to 83.1 against top 20 opponents. Against the top 10, 3 and 4 in 2020, 3 and 7 2021, 3 and 9 2022, 8 and 5 against the top 10 here in 2023. Now, look, he's four in the world. All of these metrics should be improved, but they are. I test says it, the numbers say it. The results say it. The weapons, you know, again, the physicality matches the weapons now. And that he can sustain that peak that much longer. We saw that in what was, what, three hours, three hours, four minutes of just fantastic tennis. And again, he fights off set points in set number one. 7-6, knocks off Medvedev in the t- uh, final. Title number four of the year for Sinner. A second hard court win over Medvedev in as many matches after being, what, 0-4 against him, I think, in their first four battles to beat Rublev as well, again, from 5-2 down. And I just, I can't emphasize enough to have the mental lapse of trying to serve for the match and not be able to close it out and still get off the courts in straight sets. That's what the greats do. Because everyone's going to make that mistake. It's going to happen to the best of the best. But those that are able to minimize that mistake and close that match out and not make things more complicated and not just give another clear bite of the apple to their opponents, those are the greatest champions. That's what the great ones do. And that's what Sinner did this week in Vienna. And again, to back it up right after Beijing, you know, again, Carlos Alcaraz exists in this world. So for the 22-year-old Sinner, 56-14 and 14 and 80% win percentage again. That's when you start to knock on the door of the all-time Pantheon seasons. 80% win percentage for the year gets you into that club. Obviously, you need a few more slam titles, a few more Masters titles if you're Sinner to make it a Pantheon season. I'm not arguing Yannick Sinner is having a Pantheon season. But Yannick Sinner is having an exceptional season. The sort of season you have at age 21, 22 when you typically go on to win three to five major titles in the prime of your career. And look, that's always been the projection for Sinner, at least that range of titles. You feel like that's the probably median projection of his career. Again, just given the era he's going to play in with guys like Alcaraz, Runa, the next-gen peers he has above him. Anyways, we'll save the full what is Sinner ceiling look like, I suppose, for November. That's enough on him, but... I mean, again, all the numbers say it. The eye test says it. 
these Beijing and Vienna results say. And this feels different than the runs we saw from Ruda and Felix last year. That's the last piece I wanted to mention. Because obviously Felix won Naples, won Basel, Paris semifinals, did all these things last year. Didn't really lead to squat in 2023. You look for Runa. He wins Paris last year. Also all the successful run at the end of the season. He actually had a, a stunning first half of the year. And I would argue it actually did lead to all sorts of success. Including him being in contention, excuse me, for the Tour Finals this year. For Sinner, the question is, does this run, because it includes two wins over Medvedev, a win over an Alcaraz, a win over an Andre Rublev, who is really making the claim for being the fifth best player in 2023 with his results of late. If he win, if he goes 2-1 and one in Tour Finals group play and makes the semifinals, I just don't know how he's not on your Tier 1 contenders. I don't know how you don't put him in the list with Medvedev, Alcaraz, and Djokovic, particularly considering he's beaten Medvedev now twice. He's always proven a foil for Alcaraz. Obviously, the Djokovic mountain is a slightly different one for Senator to climb. That's been a more difficult matchup for him. But I know he lost his Virov at the U.S. Open. Two wins over Medvedev and a win over Alcaraz on hard courts. That's about the best way you can possibly make up for it down the season's home stretch. So there's 17 minutes, or actually that's like 12 minutes, on why if Sinner wasn't Tier 1 already in your mind, I just don't think you have the right qualifications for Tier 1. So throw him on there and look, obviously for Daniil Medvedev, does this change your perception of his season? In my opinion, absolutely not. He's 64-15, and 15, 81% win percentage. And by the way, our guy, Jeff Sackman, uh, was kind enough to answer my question of how many players have we seen win over 70 matches in a single season without winning a slam title that same year. Hasn't happened in more than half a decade. Daniil Medvedev right now, 64 total victories heading into Paris. Obviously, he's going to be in the Tour Finals after that as well. Can he squeeze out six wins between these two events? He absolutely can. And then again, it speaks. He's 47-9 and on hard courts this year. 47 and 9. He's played 13 hardcore events. He's made 10 quarterfinals or uh, or further at those 14 hardcore events. And again, finals Beijing, finals Vienna, finals the US Open. Yes, it was a disappointing Canada Cincinnati run for him. You combine this with what he did in February during the Sunshine Swing. Tier one entering the Australian Open. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And look, former world number one, former slam champion. He's serving well again. He's moving extraordinarily well. How he hits his forehand cross court as precise as he does, the world may never know. But excellent weekend uh, for Medvedev as well. That said, obviously the biggest headline, Sinner. I think he's got to be tier one coming out of this weekend in Vienna. And, you know, I guess closing notes if you don't think Andre Rublev's having a career year, you just haven't been paying attention. 53 wins. He's two off his career high with Paris. Tour finals still to come. By the way, he reaches the tour finals for a fourth consecutive season, has officially booked his spot. Semifinals in Vienna for him. He's top five in total semifinals uh, amongst top 50 players here in the 2023 season. I believe now he's made eight different semifinals. He trails only Sinner, Fritz, Medvedev, and Elkrez. Oh, no, he's made seven. Excuse me. So he trails Zverev, Sinner, Fritz, Medvedev, Elkrez. So he ranks sixth overall in that category. That was his first semifinal loss, though, by the way, of the year. He was 6-0 and heading into that. And, you know, again, I think if you're Andre Rublev, ending of the season, you make the final in Shanghai, 
you know, semifinal in Vienna after quarterfinaling at the U.S. Open and losing to Medvedev. Yeah, disappointing loss to him there in Beijing, but he made up for that in Shanghai. He is he's having a career year. The numbers say it. You know, again, 1.8 above his career average and hold percentage career high break percentage. Oh, that's not true, but above his career average, 0.6% there as well. One of seven players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage right now. Again, if this is his, like, is he David Ferrer with less press? That's what some scholars are asking. And that sounds like a perfect November topic for all of you listeners to enjoy. And then last but certainly not least, I actually thought Tsitsipas played really well in his match against Medvedev. He ends up getting knocked out four and six. Not, he, he dropped serve once. Yes, it's an indoor hardcore, but he dropped serve once against the best returner maybe in the game we have right now, certainly right up there with Djokovic and Alcaraz. The physicality was there. The discipline was there. The willingness to go after it, move forward, and again, be decisive like you have to be against Daniil was all there. He lost the breaker 8-6. Like, again... It was one bad backhand miss. One. That was the difference. And the backhand was not a liability for him in this match against Medvedev. And again, just he plays with the – he understands the task against Daniil Medvedev. Look, he's going to pass me sometimes, but if I don't go for my forehands, I'm not outgrinding him. So let me try to hit some shots. And yet, you know, again, let me still be patient because if I am patient, I know I'll have that opportunity to hit the big plus one ball. Tsitsipas had a pretty easy draw to get to the semifinals. Goyo, my check team, but I actually really liked the level I thought I saw from Tsitsipas. Best I've seen him play probably in this back half of the season was that semifinal against Medvedev. And, you know, by the way, by making the semifinals, he's all but assured his spot at the tour finals. Yes. He's yet to qualify, but he's two wins in Paris away from doing so, and currently 600 points ahead of eighth place Holger Runa. So he needs to lose first round. Runa, uh, you know, Fritz needs to win the title, or Hercots needs to win the title, and Tsitsipas loses first round. And like Fritz and Tsitsipas, excuse me, Fritz and Hercots have to go like finals and title to both knock out Tsitsipas, and Zverev and Runa have to probably both make the semifinals so that all four of them would catapult over Tsitsipas. He's pretty much a shoe-in to make another uh, tour finals. I think it would be a sixth, seventh, and he's only a uh, sixth, and he's 25 years old, like just turned 25. Come on now. It's a pretty good place for Tsitsipas to be. Again, your other quarterfinalist, Hatchinov, three sets with Medvedev. He's back. Goyo, top 100 to end the year. Mission accomplished. Zverev. Mission accomplished. He's top 10 to end the year. Tiafo not playing his best tennis right now, but again, overall, I think he's, he's going to end the year top 20, right in that top 15 mix. Not going to be the highest ranked American, which I'm sure was a goal of his, but hard to knock the year he's had. That said, that's everything from Vienna, and that is certainly the event I will spend the most amount of time on. Next, though, I want to move to Basel because, look, this was the run, maybe a player, you know, this specific player needed more than any player needed a run right now in pro tennis. And that, of course, is Felix Ogier Aliasim, the young Canadian. Three and two over top seed Holger Runa in the semifinals. Seven, six in the third. By the, uh, Excuse me. Uh, yeah, seven, six in the third uh, in the quarterfinals against Shevchenko as well. And then how about the six and six showing? against Hubie Hercots, an old-fashioned serve-out in the final of that match in Basel. And, I mean, again, 
he just needed it so badly, even including these, what, five wins to his resume. Felix now just over the 500 mark, 21 and 20 overall here on the season. Obviously wins his first title of the year. It's his first final of the year. He actually backs up his final from last season. And look, after dropping as low as 28 in the live rankings last week in defending his title, Felix back up to 19 in the rankings. Now, here's the thing. He made the semifinals of Paris last year as well. So he's already back down to 29 in the live rankings. But there was a d- disaster scenario, dare I say, where Felix, maybe not outside the top 50, but knocking on the door of falling outside of the top 50 in the early portions of next year. Now with this 500-level title on his resume, that's just it's just not going to happen. And, you know, again, Felix goes unbroken on serve against Hercots. Didn't face a break point, by the way. Unbroken on serve against Runa in the semis. Faced just two break points. The Shevchenko match got a little funky, but he was dominant with the first serve. He was dominant with the first forehand. He was dominant moving forward. He held his ground particularly well on the backhand. And that he hit a backhand down the line return to help clinch the win against Hercots in that second set breaker. Ultimately, again, 7-5. He wins the uh, second set breaker in a 6-6 six and six match for Felix overall. That kind of epitomized what we saw from him this week. The backhand was just back. It was consistent. There was depth. He was knifing the slice when that opportunity presented itself. But more than anything, because the backhand wasn't a liability, because he was generating consistent enough depth with it, he was just able to step around it and use his forehand as he has always used his forehand in his career. And that's in a dominant fashion. Again, when Felix's serve and forehand are clicking, particularly on indoor hard courts, I don't know how you're going to beat him because when he's striking the ball that heavy, you're just going to be so soundly on your back foot. And that's where you got to give credit to Hercots in that final in particular for Hercots coming off of that Shanghai final not that long ago. Again, Hercots has played a ton of tennis down the season's home stretch. And by the way, he's now worked himself up to 10th in the points race. He's 215 points behind Holger Runa for that eighth spot at the Tour Finals. That is an achievable margin heading into this final event in Paris. But, you know, again, I thought Hubi played well. Uh, I mean, you could tell he was on one leg. He was not extending rallies the way he had been all week long. And for a Hubi who had a 6-4 third set win over Greek Spore in the quarters, 7-6 in the third over Umber in the semis, you know, again, five hours between those two matches, respectively, heading into the final. Wasn't a ton of gas left in his tank, and yet he fought off all five break points that he faced. Found some clutch first serves in clutch moments. Continued to press forward and pressure that Felix backhand whenever the opportunity called for it. He's just playing with his forehand more decisively. And my favorite stat about Hubie. More deciding set victories. He's got 25 deciding set victories this year. That's more than anyone else on the ATP Tour in the top 50 this season. Now, you know, again, he's also played 38, I believe, three-set matches uh, or five-set matches. That's more than anyone else on the Tour this season as well. But Captain Clutch, Hubi Hurkacz, in 2023. It's a fascinating season. Again, there's a real world where he ends his year number 10, in, in, in the rankings, he's currently trailing. He's currently 10th in the live rankings. He actually surpassed Casper Ruud now with Ruud losing points from Paris. And Ruud's going to lose more points from the Tour Finals off of his resume, having made the finals last year as well. Pretty sure Hercots is going to end the year top 10. If I would have told you that even a month ago, 
I would have laughed at me. And I like to make those sorts of weird predictions. But I'll tell you what, the big serving Hurkots, especially indoor hard courts, obviously any sort of hard court surface, he's going to have that sort of, uh, he's just going to have weapons to keep pace. But again, what he's done down the season's home stretch, whether it was the level in the North American 1000s, Canada, Cincinnati, playing the really fun three-set matches against Alcaraz, obviously Shanghai title, now the Basel final as well. Uh, it's a reset heading into 2024. Yeah, he was pretty poopy the first six months, but guess what? He's got all these points now saved on the back end to make another push, and we've seen him have huge success in the sunshine swing. You know, again, he's given himself a runway to hold on to that top 10 uh ranking because there's not a ton of significant points for him to defend in the first third of the season. That said, again, Hercots, your finalist. Holgaruna was just out of juice come the quarter, uh, semifinals against Felix, and that makes sense because, oh my God, was his quarterfinal 7-6 and a third against Tomas Martin Echeverry. So, so fun. And by the way, quarterfinal Friday last week was one of the better days we had on the tennis calendar in 2023. Rublev, Zverev, three sets, was obviously very fun. You know, all these three set matches, all three quarterfinals. Runa, Felix, both win quarters, 7-6 in the third. Hercot, 6-4 in the third over Greekspor. Umber, 6-2 in the third over Dom Stricker. One of the better days we saw, particularly because there was big hitting, because the matchups were particularly intriguing and spicy, but... Tomas Marnachver is just freaking good. He is just good. Yeah, the backhand's a little flat, and yeah, the forehand backswing's a little bit big. Guy is a baller. He has the physicality. He goes after every ground stroke. I just like how he competes, and I don't think there's a clear-cut weakness either. And again, Echeverri's not that old. The 2023 French Open uh, quarterfinalist, 24 years old, is the Argentinian. I'm just saying, I he's gonna. I'm ex, I'm curious to see if there's another level of upside to him because the athleticism is certainly there for him to constantly be able to compete against the game's best. The question is, this the consistency there? Is the physicality there? I suppose that is a question we will all find out in the near future. That's it again, Runa, uh, Felix, Hercats, Umber, all three set winners on quarterfinal day. I mentioned last week, Greeks bore nine quarterfinals this year at the tour level. That's an exceptional number, and again, a top 10 number amongst top 50 players. Ugo Umber, by the way, this was my last stat I wanted to give you related to Basel. Ugo Umber right now, since the end of Wimbledon, 19-9 and in the tour level action that he's faced. 19-9 and overall. He wins semifinals Newport, semifinals Atlanta, quarterfinals D.C., Wins matches, but second round exits in both Cincinnati and Canada. First round U.S. Open loss to Berrettini, disappointing. But then quarterfinals Beijing, quarterfinals Shanghai, quarterfinals Basel. So again, you look at this stretch, he's played nine different events. He's made quarterfinals or further in five of them. He's back. Ugo is back. And, you know, again, this week in Paris, we are playing to be the highest ranked Frenchman. Manorino starts the week in the lead at 23. Uh, Ugo Umber at 24. 20 points. 20 points behind Manorino. So whoever goes further, going to be your highest ranked Frenchman. And again, if they both get eliminated in the same round, tie goes to Manorino. So, Again, a little subplot, a little fun thing to monitor as we turn towards Paris, but we'll talk about all of those subplots on tomorrow's show. Again, uh, 
it's it's an exceptional weekend. One of those weekends where if you didn't get to see all the action, go follow all the highlights or go watch all the highlights on tennis TV because even if it's only 12-minute clips, trust me, it will very much be worth your time. Last but certainly not least, how about Beatrice Hadad Maya? And this is something I do want to discuss with David Kane at some point this week. What's her ceiling moving forward as Haddad Maya wins her first title of the year? She takes the Elite Trophy title. Six and six, she knocks out Chin Wen in the final. She also gets a four and one win over Kasakina in the semis. Wins over Garcia. Keys in her group play match as well. She just outpowered all of the opponents. Uh, outpowered is the wrong word. She just out-aggressive them, if that makes sense. The weight of her first forehand, that slice-wide serve on the outside that gets you sliced all, you know, positioned all the way outside the alley as her opponent. And then just a, a runway for the plus one. Down the line, down the line, down the line, until you start building in that instinct. Okay, I'm going to hit this return, get on the full sprint. Then she starts mixing in the cross court behind you. Or then she'll start taking that backhand a little bit earlier, a little bit more on the rise than you expect. She holds her ground well and, again, has that strength to absorb and redirect pace without her own ground strokes being compromised. It's a weight of shot thing. It's just, again, she holds her ground. She may not blitz the ball by you the way a Sabalenka does, the way a Rabakana does, even the way the action on the ball of Chin Wen, uh, a Jung Chin Wen's ground strokes can as well. And yet, she's strong enough to absorb your pace strong enough to dish back out as well, constantly looking to move forward, take the ball a little bit earlier than you expect. Again, she dominated Kasekina. Like It just felt like Kasekina was never on her front foot in the semis. She outplussed one Garcia, got Garcia stretched in the outer thirds in the exact right ways in their group play match to minimize how frequently Garcia was able to be on her front foot. And then... You know, again, how well she hits her spots as a server. Very quietly, top 15 in hold percentage. Again, it doesn't blow you away with pace, with action. Although she does slice it pretty well, but she hits her spots so efficiently. She just, Haddad Maya executes. That's what she does. That's the word that comes to mind. She just goes out there and executes exactly what she wants to execute versus, look, a Chin Wen who... How can you be disappointed with Chin Wen's ending to the season? For Chin Wen to go and win the title uh, the way that she did, obviously, in Zhengzhou, to now go and make the finals here at this elite trophy event, quarterfinals at the U.S. Open, final three events are going to get her inside the top 20 to end the season. Right now, Chin Wen 15 in the live rankings, career high on the precipice of a top 20. You know, again, doesn't have sunshine swing points to defend. She could be top 10 as soon as March, April of next season. Haddad Maya up to 11. Semi-finalist at Roland Garros this year. Elite trophy champion. You know, again, who, what's her place in the ecosystem? It's not tier one. Is it the same tier as a Jabur? The same tier as a Sakari? Same tier as a Krejcikova right now? I think in the common sense, all of us would say no. Uh, in the vibe sense, excuse me. Maybe that'll be a question for the vibes pod is what tier does Beatrice Hadad Maya belong in on vibes? Because again, some of the players ranked below her like Keys, Ostapenko, Samsonova, Chin Wen, they're all just taken, at least by people like me, it sounds, uh, in my conversations, they come up in a way Hadad Maya just never seems to. 
does this result put her on the radar moving forward? This compounded with the slam semifinal. I don't know if it will, but she's been top 20 now for about seven months. It's really hard to do in this era of parody on the WTA Tour, and it's just worth acknowledging once again a shout-out to Haddad Maya. Exceptional weekend for the Brazilian. Uh, last but certainly not least, obviously, on Chin Wen's note, kind of ran out of juice you could just tell and yet breaks to stay alive down a set in 5-4 uh, and I think down 5-4 in the opening set as well in that final uh, against Haddad Maya to get the wins over Ostapenko to get the wins over Julin to get the win just to get the wins to continue to advance in front of her home crowd to continue to give them something to cheer for that she broke on this electric sliding backhand passing shot as well to extend the match her arms go up in the air there was just some magic in the air for Chin Wen, who at one point gave a press answer this weekend of, how do you feel about your season? She's like, well, I'm a little disappointed I didn't win more titles and compete more at slams. Isn't that exactly what you want to hear from a 21-year-old who is top 20 in the world, at that point had won like nine consecutive matches, and yet is still hungry for more? Like, there's a reason we're all in on Jung Chin Wen here at Cracked Rackets. I say we. I am all in on Chin Wen as a tier one prospect. And I think we certainly saw that from her down the home stretch. I think she's going to be everyone's dark horse pick to make a semifinal final run in Australia. And I'm sure she will be someone we discuss as we get into best prospects moving forward throughout the course of the offseason. That said, again, shout out to your finalist, Jung Chin Wen. Shout out to your champion, Beatrice Haddad Maya. Good ending for Kasakina. Just ran into an inform Haddad Maya, whom she couldn't hurt. Hell of a season for Julin. Again, had never cracked the top 50 before this year. She should end her year inside the top 35, almost certainly. And even if she loses some points, Wahin title in January, won a couple matches in Australia, had a really good start to her year. Even if those points fall off her resume, with what she's accomplished on the back half of the season on hard courts, Julian's going to stay in the top 50. That runway is just there for the 29-year-old to make some serious cash in the prime of her career and continue to test herself against the best, of course, tennis-wise as well. With that said, again... Late October fireworks. What a championship weekend. I didn't even talk about Amina Bechtis winning the 125K, the former Michigan Wolverine All-American, now a top 100 WTA player. Shout out to the fellow Wolverine who I have had the chance to know over the years who I'm looking forward to seeing and hopefully speaking with while in Midland this week. And again, like that's last weekend, but we're already started Paris Tour finals results on the women's side. Midland 125K, Charlottesville challenger, Opelka back in action there. We have things to discuss moving forward on this show. And of course, that is what we will continue to do throughout the course of the rest of the week. Now, the reason we are able to podcast day in, day out is because you listeners continue to tune in day out. And of course, it's because we get tireless effort from our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who, as always, has a f- of any job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out to him. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.